1: Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? I think I'll open a beer pretty early on in this one. I'm not going to lie. I think after doing my game review, I'm just going to mute myself, open the beer, and then when we get into the actual main bit, maybe a bit slurred, and I apologise for that, and I'll edit it down to make it sound like I'm talking about. <laughs> Hello, so the first week back after the international break is a real banger for some, whilst for others it's a case of cursing retaking penalties, and in my case, my Twitter memeing performance far exceeding the sorry state of my wildcard. Yes, FPL is back, and we're back too. Really nice as a trio, actually, for the start of a deluge of football from this week onwards. The international break was the last break until game week 17, so January 2021. Let's get into this then. Nick, you alright? What's going on? Hey Tom, yeah, I'm, I'm alright thanks, uh, I've been
2: pretty uh, busy, pretty swamped with work, unfortunately outside the FPL world, so it's all been a bit manic, but um, got a week off next week, certainly looking forward to that and uh, yeah, happy because it's been a, a good week for me, FPL wise. So yeah, um, we are Who Got The Assist, if you want to join our league, the league code is CPSULF and make sure to follow, listen and subscribe to the podcast through your usual podcast channels. We're also, as Tom alluded to, welcoming back a long-lost stranger to
0: the pod in the shape of Anthony. How are you doing? How did your exams go? That's good to be back. I'm almost nervous being back on the pod. It's like having not been on one in a while, you know, it's like all those things you've been used to it is almost gone again. But yeah, it's been the guts of a month since I last joined you. Uh, exams done, thankfully, until... The spring in regards to those ones, but I have deadlines coming up for my Masters, so no rest for the wicked at Stag Towers in that regard. The international break uh, for Ireland, it was uh, a good time to continue our century-long conversation um, with ourselves about our identity, as seen through the sporting lens, through all of our major sports, uh, GAA, rugby and football. Uh, We flew headlong into the issue, really, with a mix of Centenaries, Revolutionary Talk, Jack Grealish, uh, Declan Rice, and misleading Daily Mail headlines, Shock Horror. About a video shown to Irish players in Wembley. I don't know if you guys caught that story at all, but yeah, our footballers uh, kind of continuing the trend of uh, disappointment finished 2020 without a win and having scored just once in the whole entire calendar year. So uh, pretty bleak, looking forward to next year with that. As for who got the assist, lovely to see in my absence that Tom, kind of reminiscent of Danny Alves, I think, he, he's reinventing himself as he enters his early 30s, but in contrast to Danny. Tom is doing it through a uh, post-modernist and deconstructivist art in the form of memes. Uh, and Nick, good to see you've uh, cut down the beard a bit and powering towards the top 100k as well. So good chance for a tilt at a great rank this season. Uh, as for the pod this week, what we're going to be doing is just looking at the impact of luck in FPL. In the wake of people, I guess, getting pretty annoyed about the goings-on this week vis-a-vis penalties, etc. And just in general, it being quite a hard season to predict. And this is something we've touched on so many times in the pod, but it hasn't been the focal point. Uh, Correspondence this week. Back with me again, reading the correspondence. We're going to be looking at stacking assets from individual clubs. And then we're going to have our regular Q&A. First of all, though, the Game Week Reviews.
1: Oh, I'm gonna go first and get out of the way. Pull the plaster off. Um, I'm not very happy. Uh, as you, uh, maybe you won't be able to tell because I'm putting a brave face on it as per D. Carroll gif. Uh, but I got 48 on my wild card, which is absolutely unacceptable uh, to use a mix of m- arteterism. I guess we'll talk about luck in a little bit. Uh, but none of it went my way. This week. so I sold um, sold McCarthy and I put him atop top Martinez in goal who uh, got the one pointer, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, at the back, I had Chilwell with a clean sheet. I doubled up with Cancelo and Diaz. I knew that was, wasn't going to work. Work out very well this week, so I take, took the L on that. Um, Kilman only got a two tonight. In the midfield, Sadio Mane threw on goal a couple of times against Leicester, at uh, least well, had a very good chance against Leicester, couldn't do anything. Uh, Fernandes scored a penalty, of course. Grealish, nothing. Ziyech, nothing. And up front, uh, Watkins uh, had a penalty. Overturned, I suppose. Uh, Vardy was my captain and two big misses in that game, as well as him uh, missing his one big chance. Very annoying. And Calvert Lewin, uh, who was my vice captain, got 13. So overall, 48 points down to 2 million. So 500k ranked loss from your wild card. Exactly what you want uh, when you do wild card. Because, guys, the key is I'm lulling you all into a false security. Now I've got lowest of a low every other game we've got this in a green arrow. So I'm setting myself up for happiness, the sunlit uplands of the future are in front of me. And I'm looking forward to uh, delving into that great beautiful tomorrow. But yeah, I don't know, I, I, I do regret nothing, all right? Except my fervor and maybe captaining Vardy because there's no world in which I'd, I wouldn't have wildcarded two weeks ago. So I can't be like, oh yeah, well, you know, I, I wish I hadn't and blah, 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 because that was never a possibility.
0: Who came second. I'm pretty sure
1: it was Anthony because Nick yeah, was very, very, happy. Yeah, it's me.
0: Honestly, I, I kind of feel like I've been away a month and almost nothing has changed in that, you know, I'm still kind of middling along around one point something million. Nick is just flying along and Tom's just a wee bit behind me. So 59 points for me this week. Martinez in goal. I brought in Cancello. No good. One point. Uh, Mitchell didn't play. Dallas off the bench. So that's nice to get his points for once. Kufal and Chilwell with the clean sheets. A midfield of disappointment in spite of all of them really having good opportunities between Mane, Grealish, De Bruyne and Suchek. And then up top, thankfully, and I avoided catastrophe by captaining Dominic Calvert-Lewin. And I also have Harry Kane there with a four-pointer. So that's 59 points in total. Look, I'm just finding it very hard to break the ceiling of 1 million so far this season I feel like if I get my captaincy right I've missed some of the big hitters in midfield you know for example it would be Bruno Fernandez or Son, who I just never have had this season continually missing out on 10 pointers 11 pointers and then even if I get the captaincy right it's still just a game week points that probably matches about the top 10k and doesn't get yeah, you anywhere. I know the, the feeling very well. <laughs> yeah, like this week, in fairness, would have been a horror week a few weeks ago when I had absolutely no form whatsoever. I wouldn't have captained Calvert-Lewin and this would have been a 40-something point week. And at least I avoided that fate. But at the same time, this is the point in the season where we really need to be starting to make gains like old Nicholas is, as he's about to go into in a second. And Tom and I, neither of us are. Now, Tom at least has set up with a wild card. I'm, I'm not sure where I'm going, really. I brought in... Grealish and Cancelo this week. I I kind of fancied City against Spurs as daft as that might sound. Um so I actually brought him in for Semedo and of course the Semedo bit worked out but the Cancelo bit didn't and Grealish looked that, that it was really a choice. It was it was Salah out and it was I brought in Grealish and um, instead of Bruno Fernandes it was kind of a more of a long-term transfer uh, in doing that but of course you could say that you know you know, a Grealish might be for Christmas, but Bruno Fernandes is for life, you know, Uh, like the man is just getting points all the time. And maybe I just need to just recognize that and keep him in my team.
2: Yep, he uh, he came into my team this week and uh yeah got 78 points all in all. So, pretty happy with that. Ooh, up, so get off yeah, the stage. Over, overall rank 150k, starting to reach sort of respectability. Just need to try and maintain it if I can. Reach
0: respectability. Tom, where are we? No,
2: a, non-respectability <laughs> you know, a bit of dirt <laughs> on the bottom of his shoe. <laughs> yeah, it's
0: like, geez, just going to be Nick on this podcast soon, guys. We'll see you later. <laughs> just a
2: supporting card. giving my yeah I mean yeah as I said it was pretty good started pretty well with Zuma clean sheet but then the Brighton Villa game was actually a pretty considering my uh, my score this week was an unmitigated disaster I had three players in that game I got one point for Grealish one for Martinez and a minus one for Lamptey so just one point nets from three players in that particular game however as I said things went pretty, went pretty well after that Bruno got a nice 22-point return, much to chagrin of the non-owners, but we'll probably cover that a little bit later on the pod. Um, I still had the dynamic duo of Sod and Kane in my team, so 14 points from those guys, and, and Sunday was pretty brilliant, really, with 13-point from Kavaluin and a 12-pointer from Robertson, so that went really well. Uh, Monday, quite badly, I guess, with Zaha being out, um, having to isolate, which meant that I had more competitors coming off the bench. Um for a lovely two-pointer, he's got a bonus point as well, Nick. <laughs> <He's> <laughs> just awarded one got a BP. bonus point. <laughs> um, yeah, he was on for he was on for free actually before um, they lost that clean sheet. But um, yeah, so a bonus apparently for him. So another point there, and uh, two bonus and an assist for Shea Adams as well mm-hmm. in that game. So he got eight points. So
0: yeah, Nick, you you, um, you managed to generate points from absolutely nowhere. Like it's it's actually phenomenal. Like where did you get all those points? This guy. <laughs> <laughs> Fair play, it's well played. Uh, yeah, pretty happy with that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not, oh, yeah,
1: I'm, not I'm not surprised. i not surprised. I think you were, you were very assertive the other day. I was like, oh, I've got Vardy captain, It'd be fine. You're like, no, nah, no chance. I've got Robertson, mate. I've got Robertson assist. Uh, maybe a clean sheet will be fine, yeah. <sighs> Damn it, I hate you when you're right. Right, let's <laughs> move on to the market forces. Uh, this is where we look through the movers and shakers uh, in the economy, see what's been going on, who's buying, who's selling, what's happening. Nick, what is going on?
2: So it's, it's all about uh, Diego Jota actually from Liverpool with uh, 229,000 transfers in so he only actually cost £6.6 million. I was surprised how um, how cheap he was really um, but yeah he's uh, he's got four goals to his name now uh, a goal in every single home game uh, for Liverpool so far this season and, and three goals in the last four so really starting to attract the attention of managers who are, are looking at sort of a, a cut price um, Liverpool asset and he also appears to be nailed on now as well with Klopp um, adapting his formation a little bit um, to play to allow him to play alongside Firmino, uh, Salah, and Mane. So that's good. Um, yeah, definitely looks like a decent asset there. He's got uh, twice as many transfers as any other player this game week, but otherwise it's Bruno Fernandes, of course back at 11 point return he's had 100 transfers in now for him uh yeah so he he's getting plenty of returns like he did last season the bloke just seems to pull points out of his um anywhere really so uh yeah good uh good week for bruno owners of course and bruno captainers uh so lots we'll talk about him in a little bit but um otherwise tom talks about vardy um bringing him in obviously blanks but hasn't stopped other people bringing him in this week of course because he has Fulham at home up next uh, quite a decent run of fixtures for Leicester Um, so he's had 80,000 transfers in as well
0: yeah, quite remarkable, actually, to see that popularity for Vardy in spite of his uh, bit of disappointment. But it just, I guess, shows you how little confidence most people have in Fulham. Amongst defenders as well, There just is one particularly popular player, and that's Ben Chilwell, who I guess he's a darling of the FPL community already at this point, and he's quite popular within our sphere. But I guess in the, the global game, everyone's kind of copping on now that Chelsea's defence has really solidified, and Chilwell himself is a really standout player within that. He's, his value has gone up 06 In whatever it is, seven weeks that he's been playing for Chelsea. So, pretty incredible.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, Rounding up the top five, Calvert Lewin still attracting owners as well. 76,000 chances in off the back of that brace. Now, the top scorer in the Premier League with 10 goals this season and one assist as well. So, having a great campaign so far. Now, 59% owned as well. So, you know, really, really popular pick. If you don't own him, it will hurt a lot. But um, in terms of chances out, I think that's nothing majorly exciting. Lots of flagged players being sold as as expected, like said Lamptey got himself sent off Zaha's now appeared um, we don't know whether he's going to be back uh, for the next game, so it's a bit of wait and see Salah also being heavily sold which is a bit of a surprise, when I clicked on it earlier he was red flagged, which is a bit misleading, he's now gone down to a yellow flag because it is expected he is going to be back for that Brighton game so if people are selling him 97,000 transfers out, that could be Quite damaging and um Trent rounding up the um, sort of the transfers out with hundred and thirty three thousand transfers out. The only other player actually there who's non flagged is, is Jay Rodriguez, a bit of a shining light at the beginning of the season, but he's had nothing since that. Four points in game week five, so it's been a fallow period for the twenty nine point one percent owned him, who perhaps were patiently waiting for that Fulham game, hoping that their patience would be rewarded, but clearly clearly not, and now getting rid
1: fast. Right, okay. <laughs> Let's move out the kerfuffle into luck. Oh, wait a minute. Um, anyway, uh, it's definitely in the meta this week uh, with Bruno Fernandez's penalty and the retake too, hooking a good deal of conversation on social media. Uh, some you know, particularly hilarious takes were given. And uh, yeah, I, I guess it was all about kind of the outcome there. And, and, and I guess that kind of feeds into wider sort of discussions about how much of an impact luck has on FPL and how basically the intangible has an impact on our outcomes i suppose the first thing i was kind of thinking here is trying to think about luck versus something called variance which we see a lot in in social media you see that kind of talked up a fair bit in terms of oh it, it wasn't luck it was just variance are they the same thing what's the difference um is there a difference between the two there isn't one they're basically the same thing and it's more about semantics whether you call your bad luck or your bad variance to define as well luck or variance i think is defines events conspiring to go your way and luck i think as a word has really kind of acquired a bad name like it's in something that's a bit taboo uh, because it implies you're not being skillful you've had kind of you know dumb luck that's kind of impacts your outcome a uh, variance in contrast is often deployed to mean bad luck and in terms of fpl like at its core basically every week you're betting that the players that you've pitched will do something every week um, and clearly luck is a central component in that you've done the analysis you probably had a good feeling uh but for the outcomes to go your way, you need that little extra when things actually are live and in play. Because before things kick off, you can only envision positive outcomes normally. It's the hope that kills you in FPL. But when it's live, it's fundamentally out of your control. And there's always the element of luck in live action when things get messy is when in fpl as well we add an extra layer which is a social come competitive element because lots of people also play alongside you and against you and that opens things up to interpretation i think perceptions kind of kick in and also there's presentation too so consider the case of people who and they have fortunate outcomes which are presented as skills so i've taken a huge punt this week and it's paid off fire emoji and i'm shouting about it from everywhere the fact is that those same people next week who are taking a huge hit and it's not worked out are not going to be shouting on the rooftops about it. So if they've taken a minus eight hit and they've lost 30 points, They won't be anywhere to be found. I think that layer, so from the essential game to the social side of it is where the influence of luck is really felt the most uh, because that holds up the mirror to our managers in terms of the impact of their decisions on their outcomes, especially if others are able to see those outcomes and kind of have their own perceptions of it. That's kind of my opening gambit, that luck and variance are the same thing and that luck is basically played out on the social stage more than anything else. Um, I'm talking about luck in a game week here rather than luck over the long term which we'll speak about in a bit. What do you guys think about that? But luck is basically something which is reflected in the eyes of others rather than something that you have yourself.
2: I guess my interpretation of the difference between luck and variance, I feel like you know, luck, it feels more of a, a subjective thing. You know, you, as you said, you see constantly people, if they do badly, they'll be bemoaning their bad luck. But if, you know, they, they talk about their skill, I guess, and they're distinctly quiet when it comes to sort of praising the moments of good luck instead, it's all, you know, what they did is based on their skill. And that's, that's the subjective element. And I think with variance, for me, it kind of has a bit more of a statistical background. I mean, that's at least my interpretation might not be, you know, correct facts but variance feels like a fancy way of trying to quantify that luck it, you know for instance in in poker it can be used to good effect um you know you talk about sort of a pocket aces perhaps winning it being a winning hand 95 percent of the time so you can quantify that variance to a certain extent if you had the pocket aces and you lost you know you 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 suffered that five percent variance and, and that's more statistical and i guess with fpl everything does feel a little bit more subjective in terms of the, what happens with your game. For instance, there's, there's no hard and fast rules we can really model as much as we like to try and look at expected goals and, and various other statistics. We can't predict 100% what is going to happen. For instance, we can't say, oh, Bruno against West Brom, nine times out of 10 means a return. It's just impossible to, to quantify, isn't it? And even with like the, the models that people put out there, Some very good, say, you know, estimated 6.78 points from this particular fixture, but there's certain elements to reality that just can't be determined. So for instance, did did Bruno have his uh, regular bowl of Cheerios in the morning, which would just get him through the day? Or did he forget to pick them up as part of his Tesco shop? Um, you know where half the West Brom team struck down with Covid the day before significantly weakening the chances <laughs> did, did David Coop forget to put his contacts in and then just not tell anyone hoping he could get through the game without anyone noticing these, these are all kind of real luck elements when you talk about the variants, you can talk about the expected goals etc but you know that extra element I think comes down to what I would call luck at least
1: yeah, I mean, I guess you're, you're right in this in some ways and maybe you agree with me then too that because you can't quantify it. Like you said, with, with poker, if you're a pocket ace, you've got a very high chance based on a kind of a body of evidence that this is what's going to happen. You've got at least kind of a hard and fast fact that this is the touchstone versus the outcome. So you can say, well, that was X percent likely compared to an, a kind of a, a possible outcome based on a body of evidence. Here, we don't really have that in FPL, as you say. It's, it's a very dynamic game and you've got all of the facts that you listed there, you know, from whether a player is able to finish properly all the way down to a referee having a bad day, as you've inferred, um, that can have an impact on things. And I, I think that, as I said, a lot of the time it is about that kind of social stage because you're comparing your results to other people. And often you have to be able to formulate a way to explain why your outcome is different from somebody else, especially if it happens consistently. Um, you can say, you know, it's all bad luck or it's all variance in the same way as you as you said, Nick it's all good luck, you know, It's it's, it's been uh, my skill which has meant that I was in a position to get lucky, I guess. Anthony, what do you think about this?
0: Well, like, I, I think, first of all, I would say that luck is probably just an emotional term for variance, or that people apply to variance, and kind of, they, they do that to suit their own motives, their own message, so there is that social aspect, which kind of maybe just digs down to the basics of just why people actually play FPL, and that's obviously to do with satisfying a competitive streak. Or I think more to the point, especially in the FPL community, it's proving something to themselves, or to their friends or to the community, such as their expertise, their skill, their superior knowledge, their crystal ball gazing skills, etc. That means that people do kind of get much more tied up in what is in truth, look and what is, as you say, the same as variance uh, to any degree, because like you've, you've both gone through it there, like the, the game is a game of chance, football is a game of chance, uh, Celtic can beat Barcelona 2-1 in that Tony Watt game, these things can happen no matter what you want to do. And so it is kind of silly to get too tied up in this look versus variance thing, but at the same time with FPL, there are some managers who year on year on year deliver the top results over the course of a 38 uh, game week season, they manage to get extremely high ranks. Is that because they can read statistics better? Is that because they're better at watching the game? Is it just because they're better FPL managers and that's something that's totally detached from both of the last two things? Possibly, genuinely, possibly. Or maybe it might just be that they've just had an extended period of luck. It's entirely possible as well to just that some people are on just this multi year hot streak and yeah. Maybe they'll revert to the mean eventually If they kept playing uh, FPL for a thousand years Maybe we'd all have the same results at the, you know On average over that time I don't think so I think that there is genuinely an element of skill to it But yeah, on a week-by-week absolutely. basis You can point to look. You can point to goal line technology failing For that <laughs> Sheffield United game last year You can point to bad refereeing decisions You can point to the Gerrard slip Like There are so many of these like Completely Immeasurable events that occur. That's just outside of the fact that, you know, the part of a person's boot matters in how they hit the ball. You know, does a goalkeeper stick their hand up just in time? I don't know, maybe. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. And that can sometimes be the reason why Sadio Mane doesn't score, but Diogo Jota does. And that's just unfortunate for us Mane owners. That's just the game.
1: Yeah. Uh- a bit of the boot touch on the ball reminds you of Lingard in the um, Nations League final that um against Holland remember that uh, Who's offside just by like, a, a tiny part of his boot was yeah. anyway um but no i i think what we are touching on there is uh, the cringeworthy phrase uh fine margins a little bit as well um i mean is that true i suppose is a nice kind of way to move move that on in terms of those kind of fine margins i think that's a really interesting point anthony because if you watch any live sport the difference between success and failure are often so infinitesimally small like okay all right it's from my own point of view this weekend but Vardy this weekend for example uh watching that game um barnes Missed the guilt edge chance. I think I was up and celebrating that I got an assist, frankly. And at the very end of the game, all Bryson as well missing another one. So, okay, if both those go in, then I've got two assists and decent captain return for my captain. Another example. If Johnston bothered to obey the rules and didn't come off his line, then Bruno's penalty is saved. And that's a huge negative swing and something the timbre of the FPL community's conversation is very, very different. Another example if Trezeguet doesn't roll around dramatically, Watkins probably gets the penalty. But if my dad didn't have sex with my mom, then I wouldn't be saying this. So at the end of the day, there's always this kind of parallel universe. And every game there's always sliding door moments, but we shouldn't and indeed can't live in what could have been. It's always very useful to kind of reevaluate your decision making process if things haven't quite gone your way rather than just blaming luck, I find, or you know, dismissing it as being bad variants. Like, all right this week for example with Bruno I didn't pick him I went with Vardy and I knew that that was an outside bet I knew that, that was a risk and I accepted the risk within the call like rationally I can see I can I accept what happened emotionally I'm still a bit annoyed but I'm okay with the decision making process because I looked at it looked for it and thought well okay I think this is probably a, a nice one uh, that would really kind of push me up I mean if I can't take part of the wildcard When can I? Uh, But maybe I should have considered the merits of Bruno and DCL more. But I think maybe dismissing uh, Bruno as just being luck. When we knew penalties as part of his repertoire, that was part of what makes him a potent threat in terms of being an FPL asset. Um, I think dismissing that all as luck and just kind of minimising that um, perhaps is to be a little bit sweeping maybe. Um, What do you think about that?
0: I'm going to jump in on you just there because... Penalties is obviously something we've talked about an awful lot this season, and I think maybe even a a state of the nation on penalties is almost important to go into um, whilst we have that point, because the fact of the matter is, is you can't dismiss them as luck. We've had 43 penalties so far this season, 35 of those have been scored, so that's 81%. In the whole of last season, we had 92 penalties. Now, pre-season this year expected a rise in that with all the new VAR stuff, let's not get into it, but they expected there to be about 106 to 115, so breaking records. But the fact of the matter is, is that with 23% of this season played, that's 88 games, we're now on course for 185 or 186 penalties this <laughs> season. If we continue this, like we are a quarter of the season into it now. You know, when we were looking at these, this data after four weeks, it was like pfft, never going to happen. Come on guys I think we need to get real Like the penalty numbers Are just off the charts And we just need to Continue to Keep that in mind With our transfers And we can't dismiss Bruno Fernandes' luck Manchester United Historically Get loads of penalties Pre-Var Pre-anything else They got loads of penalties They're still getting more penalties They're even getting more and more penalties And they get to retake penalties Like every other team If keepers go off their line You get to retake them Which means the conversion rates Are going to go up A little bit more can't dismiss them you just can't and like and I'm speaking as a non Bruno Fernandez owner for what it's worth as well just to make that painfully obvious to people that I'm you know just as annoyed by it as you might be but you can't just dismiss it as look and it's not just fine margins either there is an element of fine margins to which game the penalties come but over a 38 game week season he's probably going to get 10 12 15 penalties like it's entirely possible and you can't just dismiss that as luck just for a given week.
2: Yeah, 100%. I think penalties are a critical element of the game. And that's why, as part of my own team, I've, I've targeted a lot of penalty takers, the likes of Will Saha, et cetera, because Crystal Palace often win a lot as well. And, and it's a key element. And I think people to people say, saying you know, Bruno was lucky, you know, with the penalty, et cetera. They, they're kind of not looking what else happened in that game to a certain extent as well because you know Bruno created more chances than anyone this game week with six and um, you know Martial should have put a couple of those away as well so you know he easily could have picked up yeah, um, should, more assists yeah. and more returns anyway so, so that's unfortunate and I think with, with fine margins I think it is it's fair enough, you know, I, I wouldn't say to say, oh, it's fine margins, I did badly. You know, I wouldn't call it an excuse. I think there's always an element, and you can look at your team, and you can say, actually, with every single asset in your team, there, there's kind of a few fine margin stories you can share, for instance, you know, like, for me, I mean, Zaha not playing, missed, he could have easily hauled against Bernie, that was a plum fixture for him, or, or Lamptey getting all reckless and deciding he wanted to get sent off with a couple of quick yellow cards, I don't know what he was thinking about, but you know, those sort of things. Um, you know, Walker Peters missing out on those bonus points. I mean, obviously I had a really good week, but these are just stories that I can share just from this week as well. So I think there's always a case. Perhaps if you're constantly bemoaning your your bad luck, it does doesn't come across very well. But you know, it, we we accept that this is a game of luck. It's it's not pure skill, is it?
0: Yeah, maybe while we're still discussing fine margins, I think there's just a few other kind of stats that are maybe worth getting into. One is hitting the post. Uh, Chris Wood, ironically, has hit the post three times, Timo Werner three times, and Treason Season Trossard with four. So they're kind of the highest in terms of those players who've almost scored, but didn't score. But I think what the, the, the sorts of players that we have in that trio, I think, kind of, kind of capture the panacea of luck. You've got someone like Timo Werner, takes a load of shots, gets loads of opportunities, will score a load of goals over the course of the season. Chris Wood, you know, respectable Premier League level striker who gets into double figures seemingly year on year. Great. A few hits of the post. You'd expect that over the course of a season. But then to point to Trossard, who's tip top on four. Like, you could not just say it's fine margins for Trossard because you couldn't possibly expect Trossard to be... Wasn't that
1: all in one game as well?
0: <laughs> it, yeah, it was it all in one game. I couldn't quite be certain on that. I wasn't sure. But yeah, I knew he'd hit it at least three times against Manchester United in that time. You can't point to that as just being fine margins. Like, of course, it were fine margins on that specific day. But over the course of this season, Trossard is not the FPL pick that Timo Werner will be, that Chris Wood will be. and Maybe XG brings us into that conversation even, fo- even further. When you look at XG overperformers, Son 5.5 overperformance, DCL 3.5 overperformance, Kurt Zuma 2.5 overperformance, James Ward-Prowse and Danny Ings then around 2.4 in overperformance. Kurt Zuma being 2.5 overperformance. That's of course there's like the fine margins and the luck has come into it. The fact that the defender's goals just happen to have come at this point in the season because they kind of they get fairly random opportunities off set pieces for the most point for the most part when you're somebody like Kurt Zuma. But when it's someone like Son, you could point to his 5.5 over performance and just say, well, he's also just an elite player, one of the few players in the league who could score 20 goals in a season, who seems to be in a system that gets the best out of him. DCL, likewise, has clearly improved and has clearly brought his finishing on another level, his one-touch finishing especially, is finding him opportunities that he never had before. So within the statistics, you can kind of tell very different stories that's why you need to know the context behind what's going on as well, that it's it's not just about pointing to statistics or just saying, look, variance, you you need to understand like the greater context of what's going on as well.
1: Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think to maybe bring what you both said together, what's really interesting is looking at kind of that data slash eye test dichotomy and uh, looking at mitigating or controlling the impact of luck. Because I I don't know, I was thinking about what you were saying about all of these guys under and over-performing and all of these sorts of things. I was thinking, yeah, okay. So I'm watching games when that's happening and I'm just kind of thinking, right, okay, well, variance can go my way, something's going to happen. And actually what, what may be... Funny enough what I conjured up was actually memories of early on this season when I had Zambo and Greece versus West Brom because Hammers was out I know that's a bit strange and obviously it's an example in extremis but that's an example of when it's purely luck that I'm hoping for you know there's no data in his favor really like, no long term information suggesting he return I seen him play a couple of times and he, looked, I, he was four point5 million and he was playing West Brom and that's a really good cool example of the time when I the outcome I knew was purely about getting lucky if he done something anything um above the two or three point baseline then riding that zamboni would have been incredibly lucky and nothing else and if you think about it like a spectrum right from a player like that playing a player like that maybe getting lucky you know basuma getting a goal from him from you know thirty yards, like people got earlier on this season all the way on the other end to a player like salah who you know it's post from the numbers who's, that suggests that him scoring frequently is a near certainty uh, in terms of probability. Looking at things through that spectrum begins to kind of draw a focus, I suppose, towards this sort of how we assess luck and how we assess kind of controlling it. Like for me, it's about, maybe um, as Anthony was alluding to a little bit, having this sort of uh, process around when it comes to evaluating your team, your transferring your captains. And it's fundamentally, it's an obvious point, but it's fundamentally always best to pair the eye test with data like appreciate that some may not like data but it's always very useful like the eye test is very good but it's also subjective at times so, this weekend, for example, on our Slack, I said, Oh, Tammy Abraham looks great here. I think he's a lot better at his hold up plays, making good, good impacts on Chelsea. And Adam Pritchard said, Oh, my God, no, I completely disagree. Like, you know, um, I definitely drew it on. And, well, I mean, he does wear, uh, it does wear tersel next, So, can you trust a man who wears turtle necks? Probably not. But anyway, um, it always emerges, it always emerges It's actually wearing him. I just realised, Oh, God. Get off the pod. I go like um, over here, like
0: hanging myself on my collar, just like, hello. Uh,
1: but anyway, it always amazes me that two people can watch the same game of football and have completely different takes. And you see that my cousin played out weekly in the various comments you'll see during live games. In contrast, data is objective. It's a fact that these things happened. And this is relatively new in the, in the kind of, you know, the, the scope of football. We never historically had this. And it used to be about what someone in the forest who said, and that often went. Uh, but of course, interpretations are subjective too. How you project these things will impact the future, uh, which which what FP managers are doing if they do do some data analysis is more in the eyes of researcher. And it's almost like the eye test objectivizes data interpretation, bringing us back to what Stack was saying a minute ago, because if you looked at the data and you say, okay, he's had loads of shots, but you know that those shots have all been crap. So think about a Neil Pay or a Mitrovic sort of character, then that probably makes it a little bit different to if a player is having lots of shots and they're all good shots from good positions. But anyway, uh, I always think luck will play its role, but overall having a nice kind of process when it comes to understanding a player that you're looking to bring in looking to captain is is just so in so used having the eye tests and data i think integrated is always ideal it's it's
2: always really really important when you're trying to find the edge through the you know through the data and i remember this from the sort of the first season i was starting to play fpl more seriously but i wasn't a member of you know like a fancy football scout or hub um, at the time, I think Tom was using fantasy football scout. He had Scott Dan, Craig Dawson in his team. I was like, who the hell are these guys? Why do you even have these guys? And and they were banging in headers, um, getting loads of goals. And uh, I was kind of this more casual player, I guess, at the time. Like, And and Tom was, you know, massively thrashing me in terms of overall rank in those days. And, you know, utilising that to my own advantage recently was or when we both had uh, Matt Doherty a couple of seasons ago, sort of a 4.4 million man playing at Wolves excellent underlying stats. I mean, these, these are real life examples of using that data and, you know, analyzing it and then trying to get ahead of the game and, and uh, getting ahead of the luck
0: variants. I think you really do need to add eye test to the stats that you have to contextualise them that little bit more, to understand the teams, to understand which players are likely to be uh, relied on more in certain games. We'll just go back to the classic example earlier in the season when Southampton's uh, harry Carry high line meant that Harry Kane and and Son could just go absolutely wild against them. <laughs> and so it's understanding just you know the context of the stats. Kane, Son, probably the ones who were going to score. And Southampton, hmm, Highline line, hmm, concede certain types of goals, you know, one plus one equals two and profit. And obviously that's a really easy to example to point out to you with hindsight, but I did something similar with DCL this week. And I was just like, well, Fulham are just liabilities. Dominic Avergloon is the one who's on pretty much the end of every single cross that uh, Everton ever put into the box profit you know sometimes it's not that complex but still look at the underlying stats for both those sides and to pick a player out you know you have to know what's going on there versus let's say Mitrovic who was obviously playing in the same fixture against a defence who as you pointed out Nick has a goalkeeper who doesn't exactly shower himself in glory every single week and yet I wasn't going to put him into my team in a million years in spite of the fact that he had good underlying stats and so it's 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 working it out and this isn't revolutionary to any of you guys who are listening but at the same time Somebody might take something out of this.
1: I wish I had that sort of foresight stag. I really do. Okay. No, I think you're right. I think that's a really good kind of um, nice way of putting a button this discussion really about luck and how that sort of all functions. Um, so I ask you again, after having this discussion and really thinking about it together, how much of FPL is luck? Let's try to put tens of percentages on it. And um, I think it is 60% luck, 40% skill. I really do, because I think that a lot of the time you 'll see that people take high octane, especially if you think about all the the, the winners in the past years who have come from absolutely no o r to winning it. Um, I think that they 've kind of perhaps just had that, the season of their lives and they 've gotten very, very lucky um, and okay, all right, you have players who do just kind of you know, flatline all the way to a decent o r every single season Like likes of Joe from Football Scout dullards but they're gonna their trajectory is always going to be sort of very similar likes of mark life likes of late riser play people like that who take risks and do very very well a lot of the time okay that's the skill part but i think overall it is luck if you do well don't do well the more engaged you are the more it is about skill but the more you feel the social angle of how luck impacts you so i'm going to say 60 40 for me what do you guys reckon so I have
2: gone a bit higher than that. I think, obviously, if, if you want to win FPL, you, you clearly need a huge slice of luck. Um, as you said, though, we have seen these managers that prove that they can consistently deliver top 10K finishes. And it, and that's just really impressive. You know, these elite managers, as you mentioned, like Mark or FPL Matthew, um, Nate riser or Fabio Voorhees. You know, in some cases, you can see victims of bad luck. Obviously, like so Late riser having a bit of a... Um, Struggling season this year, but you know, typically he's just proved himself as you know an incredible FPL manager over the past few years. And obviously, um, you know, we've seen likes of um, Magnus Carlsen, chess grandmaster, being number one for huge chunks of last season. Though he did say in the uh, articles printed in the Guardian that uh, this was down to mostly luck. It was completely different game to chess. This was all all luck that he was number one essentially. But he also said that he was an optimist as well as an optimist um, due to his love of the underlying data. So proves there is a skill element of course there and I think you know one in five seasons might go a little bit bad for managers but I'd, I'd say 80% for me I think
0: skill 20%
2: luck okay, it's just kind of number out of thin air really but that, that's kind of what I've gone for
0: yeah, Nick, I, I ran very similar calculations. I, I really crunched on the numbers all day, got my supercomputer going and also came out with eighty twenty uh, in the end. I kind of feel, though, that the skill isn't necessarily just being able to read the data. I think a lot of the skill is just not to bloody panic sometimes. And... Um, that's part of the FPL skill in so much as anything as just reading the stats and working out what you're actually seeing in front of you. It's getting hasty. It's just being a little bit good tactically. But I think what you've both stumbled upon is there is a certain truth to the fact that if you want to win FPL, I think you need much more luck than just to, as Tom put it, just flatline into a top 100K or top 10K finish every single season. There's you know, there's a very different degree of luck in getting that over that final hurdle than there is to just, you know, largely pick popular players get your captaincy picks right week in week out. Right, will make a huge deal of the difference to getting you to that top 10k rank and mm-hmm. like that's where the luck can yeah. be really really more pronounced uh have a more pronounced effect on your rank but 80 20 i'll just go with see um
1: so basically if we add it all together uh what happens is that we're saying 60 versus two two first two third skill one third luck um so yeah interesting um probably is about right to be honest, if you think about it um maybe i overvalue luck to some extent because i'm thinking about winning rather than d- just doing well in general um but yeah hope you can take out something from that hopefully it helps you think about luck in fpl and how it has an impact and we'll have a break here and think about the correspondence and the q a after this who got the assist who got the assist
2: So we're back and it's time to catch up with the Who Got the Assist Mini League. If you want to join the league, the code is CPSUOF. We'll do a quick rundown of the top five. Um, So in fifth, it's Wallace Clark with the ace team. Um, 68 points for him, pretty decent week. Um, captained Bruno Fernandez, uh, but in fourth it's uh, Graham Sessons with HK10 for Golden Boot. Only one in the top five, not to Captain Fernandez actually, but he went for Calvin Lewin. So still a pretty decent week there, but 57 points for him. Um, Zaki Team Two is in third, 72 points. Um, in second it was David Izzett with Hestwam and 87. Points for him. That's, that's a really, really good score for the, for the game week. But it's not enough to get him into first place because he's two behind. Borisov, Droximovic with um, his team, and he got 80 points. So uh, well done, Borisov. Great week for him there. Yeah, um, 80 points. Just Bruno Fernandes, the captain, doing the business there. Likes of um, Calvert Lewin, of course, and Son and Roberts and McCarthy And goal. Some you know, the of key, the key characters sort of doing the business there. And uh, yeah, overall rank 375 as well, which is pretty damn decent. Oh, yeah. So shall we move yeah. on to correspondence then? Anthony, your favourite section, do you want to introduce?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So like back in that three day pre-season that we had or whatever it was, 10 days, it was very short. Like a mother hen, I think I, I, I put this idea into the WhatsApp group and doubts were expressed. There, there was a voice memo that tried to explain it and still... One hater in particular One hater He's down there He's in a blue top He said That this would be dun, dead dun. By game week 8 That's where we are now Game week 9 Tom And it's back Correspondence section Is still here baby And it's Oliver Smelt Who's written in From Toronto Ontario With his email On uh, stacking players And teams the, the Correspondence section Is of course Your chance to give Your input on Previous pods To express your ideas About FPL To comment on What's going on Basically it's a just write in an email to who got the assist at gmail.com, and we'll probably include it in the pod at some point into the future. So Oliver emailed in quite a bit ago at this stage where we didn't quite get around to getting it in, but here we are. He started off, hello, uh, Tom, Nick and Anthony. First of all, thank you for doing what you do. From Tom's unrivaled narratives and top punnery, I'm not sure if this was a a Tom alt account, by the way, uh, to Nick's dulcet tones of level-headed calm and cool and Anthony's clever retorts and infectious chuckles, now it's fictional, uh, you provide me with podcasting highlights of my week. Also, I'll be forever grateful for the Sunderland Till I Die episodes keeping me company during the hellish grocery store trips in the initial heights of COVID. Uh, go, by, go listen to those guys, by the way. They're pretty good. Uh, they also helped me in the sound decision not to have Jason Steele as my backup keeper in FPL this year. Anyways, in pondering the chemistry between you guys and the fact that Kane has assisted almost all of San's goals, I wonder if there are... Or if there are other symbiotic pairs in, in FPL that are much more than the sum of their parts when paired together from an FPL perspective. I think of Anthony earlier in the season benefiting from Salamane's double up, uh, how that same strategy worked for Magnus Carlsen last year, and the many other examples of these super pairs, including kane, the kane double up, which is the gift that keeps on giving for owners this season. I know that this concept has been discussed time and time again, but given the odd nature of this season and freak results appearing more common, is it more beneficial to ensure that you'll definitely get the points from a given team by having two to three of their main attacking or defensive assets rather than diversifying your team to have good representation from different teams, i.e. Salamane, Sterling, De Bruyne, Foden, DCL, James, Rodri- um, and Richardson, Robbo, TAA, Martinez, Conza, etc., 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 as opposed to mixing up all of those assets. Oli uh, has also pointed to a lot of other particular points about this strategy that's high risk and high reward. It allows you to get further points from a popular asset by likely getting the other half of an attacking return or another clean sheet on top of the one you would have got from that player. He also suggests this is a family-friendly approach to FPL in that it gets you bounty points with your loved ones because you don't have to watch as many games each weekend. It's an interesting perspective on it too. Uh, Much love from the Crazy Canuck across the sea, Oliver.
1: Oh, hello, Oliver. As you know, uh, as I said to you in the response to this email. Um, I know a lot about T dot. Um, having uh, had an ex girlfriend who was from there, spent a long time in T dot. A very, very nice place. Um, yeah, great question. It's really, really interesting, actually think about this from an FPL perspective and we've thought about this a lot actually on this very podcast we've uh, introduced the idea in the past of compound differentials uh, so looking at it through an FPL lens rather than a football lens the idea being I suppose as Oliver kind of infers but if, if you have a mix of players on their own they're very well owned but together as a combination they give you a lot of points this makes sense if you break it down logically so for this year for example if it's an individual it's likely you and other engagement will have this highly owned player player. So say Dominic Carvalhoon this year. He's currently 58.8% owned, where he was at the time I wrote these notes. So most people are going to say, do you have Carvalhoon? I do as well. Okay. Yeah, we've got him. Add another. DCL and Son. He's the Son's the second highest owned owned player at the time I wrote these notes. 57.3% say. Most people are going to say yep, yeah, I own him. But perhaps there's a few less people who say yes than own DCL alone. So, LiveFPL, livefpl.net calculates this for us. uh, LiveFPL calculates this for us, actually, livefpl.net that is. So, 41.5% own both DCL and Son at the moment. So, in owning both of those highly owned players, you've got a combination that 58.5% of the game don't have. Um, Though, of course, it does work in tiers. So, uh, overall, that's what the kind of the figure is. But if you look at just top 10K, then I'd like to be a little bit smaller, but I'm just illustrating this. I'm going to stick with the overall. Let's add a third in. So you've got DCL, you've got Son, and Kane, who's the third highest owned player, third highest owned player at the moment, 44.8% ownership at the time of writing. So Les will say yes to all three being owned, than DCL and Son or DCL alone. That's 22.4% of players who own the three highest owned players in the game overall. Obviously, as I said, in the higher echelons, there's probably going to be a bit more. Um, but by having those three owned players, you suddenly have a combination that over three and four managers don't have in the game. Um, and this is why every year you get all these variations in outcomes and why are all able to be ranked and why each story is always different in fantasy football every single year. Because the near-infinite combinations in teams – Compared to other teams, because there are so many different moving parts, is what makes it really fascinating and why compound difference is always really interesting. Because, as uh, Oliver's initial question infers, just doubling up um, and I guess concentrating well rather than spreading the risk um, can create an opportunity. And that was my thinking this game week, it didn't quite work out on having something like Watkins and Grealish or having something like ZH. And uh, and uh, in Chilwell at the back, or indeed having a double defence, like uh, they're all absolutely like great examples of how you can have a competitive edge, turn a sword a shield into a sword, um, and you know, a stretch all the way from doing something as a, as kind of mundane as having a, you know, the double of defence back in the day, um, all the way to having a mallet or something like that in midfield. So yeah, um, I think it's definitely a, a really valid strategy to look at the high-owned sort of pairings and kind of thinking, yeah, if I pair them together, then suddenly that creates differential and makes a sword of what is perceivably a shield on first glance. Nick, what do you reckon to that? Yeah, firstly, thanks very much for the uh,
2: the lovely comments, Oliver. That's much appreciated. I mean, I'm, I might not be perhaps as positive of the newer there, Tom, maybe? I don't know, uh, but I feel like when when the team is doing excellently, I think there's certainly the case to, for doubling or, or tripling up. And obviously, the, the case for this particular season is Son and Kane, and you know it's been excellent, hasn't it? And um, last season we spent large swathes of the season tripled up on Liverpool assets. I remember a few game weeks actually that were absolutely shockers, and I was sitting on about 24 points with triple Liverpool to come, and then you'd finish a game week on 55 or 60 just because of a, a Salah brace as a captain and you know train games points or Robbo getting some points as well and you know that that is brilliant and it, and it's, it's very 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 good when you you're kind of picking or identifying those teams that are, are just on fire and in form and that they're worthy of the double or triple up but I, I feel like there's I still have a few reservations I think for instance some, some of the examples you know with the likes of City the idea of sort of having Sterling or De Bruyne and Foden to try and cover all angles of the potential attacking returns Um, seems great, and it's brilliant, obviously, when you have a firing on all cylinders, City can score four to five goals in a game, but I feel like, you know, if you went for this sort of strategy some people have done this season already, you'd have missed out on so many returns, like some returns or Salah returns or or Greedish, and it feels like you're going a little bit against the talisman theory as well to try and focus on those key assets, to have, right, you know, from each team I want, Greedish from Aston Villa, Zaha from Palace, Salah from Liverpool, De Bruyne from City, or whatever, and Kane from Spurs, etc., etc. And you know other examples we've seen this season is is those talismans like Calvert Lewin being so key to Everton, getting involved in most of the goals, or Callum Wilson even scoring and getting returns, despite Newcastle looking dreadful. So I I feel like it's, it's very much as you said, high risk, high reward. And with the double defenses, it can go very, very well. But even Last season or the year before, we did see that Liverpool double defence end up being a little bit of a pipe dream that didn't quite materialise for us and often blew up in our, our faces to a certain extent. So I feel that like especially when you don't have, and this season feels like one of season reminds me a bit of that season Leicester won the league, when you don't have that team that's really, really standout performer, winning week in, week out, going to get 98 points. And I don't think Liverpool City are going to manage that this season. Then. You know, I feel like there's more of a case of diversifying and, and targeting a few key men and talismans from from other teams.
0: Would you say it's the type of season that allows a parochial side like Tottenham Hotspur to win the league, Nick? That's a very loaded question, and, and one
2: I'm, I'm not necessarily going to answer at this stage. But yeah, I mean, it's been a good start for Spurs, and you know that team actually that season actually they, Leicester won the league. Spurs were really in it so hopefully they can
0: um, third in a two horse race famously yeah
2: well yeah hopefully they can mount a challenge but we'll we'll have to see
0: sorry sorry to the listeners who were listening to that that was (laughs) that was just an attack on spurs just for my lols but I think what you've both done is you've I think you've both kind of captured the, the nub of this issue really is that in general to try and kind of spread your chances of doing well following something like talisman theory is a good way of making sure that you do pretty well every week by having the players that score. That's usually penalty takers and that's usually the top scorer in teams as we found already earlier in this season and previously. But at the same time, you can obviously profit hugely when a team is playing well and you have multiple players from that team. The skill, of course, is working out which team that will be. And in this season, which, as Nick alluded to, is one of the most unpredictable of all seasons, that's particularly difficult to do. Like Liverpool are obviously doing quite well this season, um, and yet I had Mala, and it hasn't really gone all that well for me. Whereas the people who had Kane and Son, which which was pretty much the alternative choice that I had when I kind of made this decision in game week two or game week three, have been flying. And so if you can get it right, fantastic. But if you can't get the double up right, it means you just... you double lose and that's the issue and so if you can get it right great but and so kind of compound the focusing on the compound differential that kind of comes with just having a good selection of talisman and top players across the league is probably the safer approach but again maybe tying back into our look conversation if you want to win fpl you probably need to have that home run uh, team selection whatever that might be you know if you had your two Spurs players and uh, a few of the other lads who've had particularly high scores so far this season you'd of course be winning in FPL but we're not all winning and there's a reason why it's not easy anyway I think that brings us to the end of this particular correspondence section. Thanks very much to Ollie for writing in. you find Ollie at Ollie Smelt on Twitter. If you want to get to be in the correspondence section in the future, who got the assist at gmail.com and we shall have a look and get back to you and include it at a later date. Looking forward to hearing from you all
1: yep uh, anthony lives this section as i've mentioned in past pods so if you want to hear that hibernian squeal of joy and love uh, <laughs> from him uh, definitely do uh, get your questions queries pet theories poems we love like poems. Questions. We really, Whatever.
0: really like poems. And <laughs> okay. Send them in as MP3s if you want, and we'll probably just stick it in all together, you know? We will. We will indeed.
1: Yeah. Who got them assist at gmail.com? Right. Moving on to the Q&A. Uh, yeah, a, a nice little range of them this week, starting with uh, Harry, FPL Tips, Cross the rank in order. Um, these top five teams, I suppose. Uh, Man City, Man United, Spurs, Liverpool, and Chelsea, uh, especially in terms of owning their assets in, in FPL. What what did you come up with, guys?
2: Nick? So I guess this is with fixtures not in mind as opposed to the short-term fixtures. So I've I've actually gone for uh, Liverpool, Spurs, Chelsea, United City, perhaps a little bit controversial, but I haven't really seen much from the City assets so far this season. And this is this season only. They'll probably go and smash Burnley 4-0, Fulham 4-0, West Brom 4-0 now. But no, that's what I've just gone for very quickly.
1: Yeah, okay, that broadly tracks the XG, so I looked at basically XG over the last six game weeks, and yeah, you're you're basically right, so Liverpool top 15.25, 12 goals, so minus three or something on the XG, that's always good looking, Uh, in second it's Chelsea, Um, actually no, in actual second it's Aston Villa, but in second terms of these five it's Chelsea, Uh, Chelsea 11.39 XG and 16 goals scored, so not a very performance but Spurs are very very similar so 11.32 uh, just 0.07 basically off Chelsea in terms of the xg um, tables uh, 15 goals scored 11.32 xg there in uh, in fifth overall it's Leeds incredibly 10.38 six goals and then United ten point two seven and nine and Man City nine point seven two XG and five goals scored. Interestingly, this game week was the first game week that their XG that their XG ticked over um into over and it, this game was the first game week that their XG ticked over into performance. Underperformance in terms of their overall goals goals scored. So this game week, over the course of the season, they've now got thirteen xg and they've only scored ten. Before this game week, it was an overperformance. So they only scored ten goals, which is just still mental. And I probably would agree with you a little bit there, Nick. But their uh, their attacking assets are looking underwhelming. But who knows? Maybe fixtures will for beget form, as We've said many times on this podcast. And um, yeah, brought down behind you, Liverpool, Mane, Salah, Jota. Maybe two, maybe three, if you're mad. Uh, Chelsea, you know, likes of ZH, perhaps. Spurs, uh oh dear, sold them on my world card. Uh, Man United, there's only Bruno Fernandes, isn't there? And Man City, wait and see, is basically how i diagnose that. Anthony, what do you reckon?
0: Yeah, I think you've kind of tracked this quite well at this point. The problem is with City is that whilst their XG is quite underwhelming and their performances haven't been good, you know that they're kind of just a bomb waiting to go off and... I have De Bruyne in my side right now and I'm kind of struggling to let him, I wouldn't let him go basically because I just expect things to go right soon. And even with someone like De Bruyne, if he knocked in his penalty uh, one game week ago, I think the whole entire kind of narrative about him would be very different. Uh, so I think, yeah, Liverpool have just clearly shown that they're flying along, but I would rank them behind Spurs. I would go Spurs one from an FPL perspective because you're really looking at Kane and Son. Kane is probably the most informed player in the whole of Europe, maybe with Haaland being the exception on that. Son. Just continues to return I just can't be ignored Yeah Liverpool 2 Chelsea 3 That's uh, Who to pick from Chelsea Is kind of more the issue And that Timo Werner Kind of continues to frustrate owners but this is something that I guess Tom you had flagged pre-season and maybe people should have been expecting but I think he's more frustrating than even he would have expected to be uh, I'm going to put City in fourth and United in fifth purely because United won't uh, perform when you expect them to perform and really there's one player from United that you're looking at you're not looking at a, an alternative option there uh, right. to think about Ollie's question there in the uh, correspondence there, there is no second option at the moment like as much as I'd love Rashford to be flying or Martial to be doing better it's it's just not there whereas with City at least there's the hope maybe it's the hope that kills you as if you're a city owner uh, but the fact of the matter is like Burnley next Fulham then Man United Derby craziness West Brom come on like you've got to be a bit optimistic about it and more optimistic than you be about the omni shambles that is Manchester United predictions
1: yeah Chelsea just quickly Ziyech I mean you've got a revolving cast of characters uh, everywhere else but Ziyech plays a unique role because he's the creative force in that team yeah, I think he's the prime rib, isn't he, there really? Uh, but anyway, uh, to that City point, there's quite a lot of questions on this this week, but the best one probably came from Matthew Jones, at FPL Matthew, mentioned earlier on. Uh, the goat who asked, what do we make of City assets for the upcoming run? And Related to this, uh, FPL, uh, Clara FPL asked if they could be a red herring, if that's going to be something which is going to be a potential banana skin for managers. So I guess I had a look at this, and I like their defence. In fact, I do like the defense so much. So I've got two of them. I've got Cancelo and I've got Diaz. Um, I think the big of the back is going to be coming back. I looked over the course of the next few fixtures. Stag mentioned them a second ago, and I just thought that's going to be lots of clean sheets there. In fact, over the next t- ten, I thought well, maybe six of them are going to be clean sheets. So I'm looking at well. Oh. Yeah, uh, 30 points for one player, 60 points for two players. Yeah, 60 points over the course of the next 10, if five of them clean sheets, that's pretty damn good if those players play. Great. In the attack, though, I just can't tell still, basically, between KDB, uh, okay, if he's got a penalty, we would all be like salivating over him, and uh, Sterling as well, a bit of a sleeper asset. With the, with the attack, I think that it's just about who you lose to fit those players in, which is what's really important there. Because in the FPL standpoint, You've got Son and Kane, who a lot of people aren't going to sell. I have sold because I was on my wild card. But if you're not, that's, that's quite a difficult sell now. So they're both again returning in the city. And you could be thinking, well, all right, can it get any worse? Probably not. Will you go without Bruno? Well, he's very he's, you know, he's, he's damn talismanic, isn't he? In the next two games, you're going to be thinking do suit him. Will you go without Mane, Salah and Jota? We've all said now that the Liverpool attack is probably the best. Would you go about a Chelsea attack? Well, we've all, again, rated the Chelsea attack. Would you go about Vardy? Hmm. It's a case where it's very, very difficult to beat Ash Ketchum and catch them all. I just don't really see how you're going to be able to do that. Um, So maybe it is the case that, I don't know whether there'll be a red herring. I agree with you, Anthony, that there's no, I find it very, very difficult to see a world where they're not going to be returning a lot. Um, But equally, it may be a case where it's convenient to forge a narrative that they're not, particularly enthralling so why would i own one um i'm quite glad that i'm covering their attack and maybe i'm going to hope that my attackers existing attackers cover their attack but it's very difficult as well to see a world where i don't own a city attacker going into fulham at home and city attacker going into west brom at home those look like prime spanking seven or eight nil games akin to whenever City play watford right um yeah, it's hard to tell at the moment. I'm willing to give them Burnley at least to see what's going on. Um, and I'm actually quite looking at Sterling because the ownership is so low and everyone's pro- flocking to KDB. So it'd be interesting to go another way. Uh, Anthony, what do you reckon there? Uh?
0: See, this is the thing, and I, I've been kind of mulling this over as well. And I'll probably be making you know a premium transfer this week. And you know, De Bruyne could have been the one who's on the chopping block. He obviously won't be coming with Burnley coming up next. But <clears throat> with him versus brina fernandes it basically boils down to who do you think is going to get more penalties in the next few weeks and then who is going to be around their opposition box more and i do think this is going to we're we're moving off into like the upper echelons of the local discussion but i think united have been lucky to get as many penalties as they have so far this year you know over the course of this season they're definitely kind of getting their penalties in early and i think they'll revert to the mean to use that phrase again a little bit more whereas i think Just City should pick up a few more And so with that in mind Having a penalty taker from City Would be beneficial As well as that I do think that Whilst United and Bruno are good City can really explode To a much higher degree Than Manchester United And that's another reason why I personally want to keep De Bruyne in my side and have him as that talisman ready for the day that everything goes right for him. Of course, I'll have missed out on how many points in the meantime? A huge amount. And you could obviously throw that back in my face all the time. Uh, Tom, likewise, I brought in Cancelo this week, probably a week too early, but I just felt like doing the transfer was just one of those things. I kind of fancied them against Spurs for some reason. So I brought him in and yeah, it's just over the course of the next few weeks, if he holds his place, which of course is the forever pep caveat that you have to add should pick up quite a few clean sheets. I think they're a much more solid defensive unit than they have been. And so really, it's just a matter of hoping for that attack to grind into gear soon because it's been quite disappointing so far.
2: Yeah, I think for me, I think there's only one City... Attacking asset that I'm keen on, and that's, that's Kevin De Bruyne. and I have actually been quite strongly considering bringing him into my team just because of obviously the fixtures. But in terms of the underlying stats, he's just yards above any other city player if you want attacking returns this season. He's only, it's worth highlighting, he only actually played 472 minutes, but still he's had sort of 19 goal attempts, um, which is sort of a chance every 24.8 minutes in terms of sort of like the players that have. Played more than five games. Um, that's that ranks second only to Mo Salah in terms of the midfielders who's had a chance every twenty one point one minutes. So De Bruyne is, is seemingly creating a lot of chances for himself, getting forward a lot. So obviously creating a lot of chances as well, as he always does. We know how brilliant he was creating chances, getting assists out of nowhere, um, crazy, you know, always finding that ball. He, he's an, he's an absolute master at that. And he's he's been a little bit unfortunate only really to have the the one goal and, and three assists assists considering those underlying stats so he's definitely a sleeping giant in terms of a a massive haul coming his way so yeah for him it's, it's 20 chances created which is one less than Salah the same as Bruno but as I said he has played less minutes so you know better ratio in terms of chances created per minute of 24 um and yeah in terms of the other city assets it's twice as many as any other city midfielders. none of them are on the same level as him in terms of creating those chances so he's going to play every minute what, we, what i was going to say is what we don't know about sterling he didn't play this week he's, he's a bit out of favor uh pep seems to be um, sort of favoring torres um a little bit more morris um Thought he might be in the wilderness, but doesn't seem to be. He, he started as well. Foden's desperate for minutes. So there's plenty of rotation there in terms of the city attacking assets. Uh, for the defenders, Tom, obviously, um, big fan of them, obviously with the double defence there. But, you know, probably going to be some clean sheets. To just the, the attacking returns are, are pretty dreadful. No one has showed any goal threat at all, apart from Walker having a few pot shots. Um, but Jao Concerio, he'll he um, be the one I'd look at if you want to try and find an attacking return as well because he's thirds for all defenders with 11 chances created. So maybe at 5.5 million, he'd be the other one I'd consider it in terms of a real FPO asset.
0: Yeah, just the, I guess the one name we didn't mention through all that discussion was Sergio Aguero. And you could, you could just cite him as an upside for Kevin De Bruyne or you could cite him as an independent upside in and of himself. And you would expect yeah. that he will get more game time in the coming weeks. He's no longer flagged. He was available for selection um, but just didn't play at the weekend. And so you would expect that when he gets time that City's finishing will improve. And one thing as well, maybe to point about City, in a way, they've kind of almost accelerated their arc towards a Barcelona tribute act in that they've reached (laughs) the decay phase in one sense. Uh, Would you not say that the way they when they're struggling, look to De Bruyne, is very like how Barcelona, when they're struggling, now look to Messi.
1: Just give it to Messi. Give it yeah, and it's it's just yeah, give it to
0: Kev, and just Kev surges through. It's a very well, obviously I... different type of play, but the way he's relied on to literally... Do make stuff. every chance yeah. create everything just you know grab the ball by the, or grab the game by the cunners and just actually just take a shot like and he's just he's, he's doing much more wild shots than he used to in my memory as oh, well absolutely
1: absolutely so, yeah. but I, th- I think also as well the, the start of every season and you know I said this a couple of weeks back we've documented the fact that the, the 10 goals they've scored is just unthinkable compared to the last few years but also, over the last few years, there's been one man who's been fit. That's Sergio Aguero, as you've mentioned. All right, he's a bit older now. Okay, yeah, we will accept that. He's from my age, so he's over the hill, forgotten, unfit, fat, Not making disgusting. memes yet, is he? Uh, he's not hmm. making memes yet on FPL Twitter, but he will <laughs> be able to make an Alex McCarthy eight-arm meme fairly soon. But nonetheless, you know, I think it'd be really interesting to see because I think that having um, you know, Jésus to some extent or Aguero, like having that forward option active city is really, really interesting because you've got another avenue to go in because as I mentioned, a lot of the players I did mention here were all, were all uh, midfielders, you know, Bruno, Son, Mane, Salah, Chelsea attackers, if you're not going to buy Werner because you've got someone like Vardy, you've got Kane stuck in there, like a lot of the time, the the space for a City player, I guess in the current kind of template, is going to be in the attack, in the striker position. So if you can get a a Jesus in, if you can get a Kun in, then that would be absolutely fantastic. It's definitely something that I'd be looking at and hoping hoping it will come out from the Burnley game.
2: I think certainly as well they're also missing out on the David Silva factor who's been such a huge um, factor for them over the past uh, 10 or so seasons and he's joined Real Sociedad who are now top of La Liga. So clearly having an impact there and and City are are clearly missing him a little bit as
1: well. Yeah, and so are we because we can't say Dilva, but we can say Tilva, so there
0: you go. And we can't say Bilva because of his almost near-enforced absence as well.
1: What's going on? What's going on with our lives? Anyway, let's move on. Uh, And uh, the next one is sticking with Spurs. So your countryman Paddy, FPL King uh, Anthony, uh, says that there are many, such as wild carders, who have binned off the likes of Son and Kane of the International Break for Other Options and were often not rewarded this week. Where do we now stand on Spurs? Uh, So quite painful for me, um, but uh, I think that if I did have both of them, I would be probably more tempted to actually, given the the upcoming fixtures hold on to Son actually. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of games that's going to favour the counter-attack for Spurs coming up. I and mean, Kane is Kane's actually an absolute monster this season. It was actually really scary not owning him, but uh, Chelsea, Arsenal, Crystal Palace, Liverpool, and uh, to some extent Leicester, they're all going to be games are going to favour uh, the likes of Son um, scoring on the counter-attack. And um, I think that he'd be the one who I'd just be holding and hoping for a seller season if I could. Uh, yeah. Um, um, I'm, well, I had to sell. I had to go for a uh, the punt on the wild card. Um, but at the same time, um, I think that if I if I wasn't on the wild card, I'd probably be having a very very tough decision making process to see which one I was going to be getting rid of. What do you guys reckon here? I think that Nick, you got both of them. Anthony, you got one. Uh, so yeah, it'd be interesting to see.
2: I've still, I've still got both. I mean, talking about luck earlier, my plans transfer was son to. To Bruno so that um, Salah getting Covid mentor kept on and got his 10 points so in that respect it's a little bit lucky but I still kind of want to disinvest um, and get um, rid of one of them it's just too many players that I, I want to bring in to be honest it, I don't have Vardy I don't have De Bruyne I don't want Salah and I want one or if not two of them this game week somehow so um Yeah, I think one's going to leave. It's probably going to be Son. Um, I know that Kane loves a a London derby. I I did have a quick look to see how he's got on against Chelsea before. In 13 games, he's got six goals to assist. So, you know, not amazing, but um, not too shabby either. So, definitely a chance of return. Um, You know, I was happy with the returns, obviously, in that last game um, against City. But, um, you know, the Spurs fixtures are still pretty tough Chelsea and Arsenal. I mean, you know, and Liverpool as well, and Leicester in the next five. So, I think certainly with the other assets, um, there are other players I'd want to bring in for them, even though they'd be brilliant this season.
0: So when it comes to Spurs, I think that they are definitely a side making a title tilt and they shouldn't be dismissed because of their, you know, the history of the Tottenham, as Giorgio Cellini once said, like they're they're they clearly have much more about them at the moment in a season where a lot of teams are struggling. And I think these up coming two games, Chelsea away, Arsenal at home are monumental ones for their season. So I'd expect them to try and ground out a result. Um, Not necessarily on the counter-attack per se, because I think think it'll be kind of 50-50 possession type games in both of them. But it's just Kane is the one that I would want to keep out of... uh, Kane and Son and I am a Kane owner so whoever wants to point at vested interests and all that you can get on your high horse if you want but I just think Kane as a player who has just been performing so well this season I think I've said it already in the pod across Europe I think there are very few players who are performing better than him I do think Son has probably benefited from fortune a little bit and um, I think Son does particularly well when Spurs are really piling it on uh, whereas I think Kane is kind of the guy who will come in with the the clutch goals to use an American phrase, um, not a little bit more. Yeah. So that's why I would like to uh, hold him. But where do I hand, where do we stand on Spurs overall? I don't think we should be span- standing. I think we should be kneeling and genuflecting. Like that's how good they are from an FPL perspective by comparison to mm. most of the other teams this season.
1: Yeah. A lot of uh, consistency there, I think. Um, probably uh, did... Uh... Rush to the fixtures that I had to, but I think if you if I was wild card in a position of strength rather than a position of catching up, and um, I probably would have kept uh, at least one if not both spurs assets right and uh, well link to that uh, judging wild card success so general Zod asks mainly me how do we judge wild card success um right away it's all been terrible I'm deleting my account and stopping who got the assist is the answer to that is terrible goodbye people No. Uh, rationally, I think the the answer is probably about three to four weeks worth of outcomes. I think that's always quite nice. I think you guys wild card in game week five, didn't you? So you had kind of like nice little block between game week five, uh well maybe week four to five was the first game week you guys had your wildcard. And you had a nice little block um, between game week five and game week eight, those four weeks to assess the uh assess how well your out your wildcard had done. Um as that well worn adage, um which is I've got to remind myself, I said I wildcarded for the long term, not just one game week. Um so I think I'm gonna be doing that. Again this week my boss team looks amazing next few weeks I'm sure my bus team's gonna look pretty damn good. And I'm just hoping that my gamble sort of pays off. I will remember the fact that I've got one i had one game week which has been really, really bad. and um, but over the course of the next sort of seven or eight weeks hopefully it will pick up and I will make up those unique points that I need to make uh, in order to get a respectable rank. So hopefully by the time I'm speaking again on this in you know, December time, um I'm going to be it's gonna be all hunky dory. Um so guys you both wild carded. Fairly recently, well, in the last kind of five weeks or so, um how do you assess uh the success of your wildcards? Uh, Nick, how's it gone for you? Bloody amazing mate.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I said before that it's not just about the first week. You have to kind of. I think Mitchell asked us a question, didn't he? In the, um, as part of the correspondence section, and yeah, it's, it's kind of over like a four to to five game week period, and and that's your assessment. And obviously, yeah, I'm happy with how things have gone. Sort of four green arrows out of five is is pretty decent since since the wild carded. Um, everything looks pretty hunky dory. Most of the decisions I made, I mean. And I'll try not to sound like I'm teasing my horn too much, but yeah, most most decisions I made have, have worked out in my favour. It was a particularly um, pinnacle moment getting in Son and Kane, for instance, who I didn't have before that, which kind of almost pushed me towards that wildcard button. Now I'm in a situation where I'm looking enviously at your team, Tom. So I'm looking at some of the assets you've got now. You've got the Mané coverage and the Vardy coverage, you know, and I don't have um I don't have these players for these plum fixtures. I'm still stuck with the um, the Spurs guys, so. You know, you have to kind of look ahead. It's not about one week, it's, it's a four to five game week period. And, and trying to, you know, doing the wild card for me in game week five was a critical moment because it has allowed me to, to propel up the ranks.
0: See, realistically, looking at my, my team, It wasn't a poor selection and I, you know, I don't even, with hindsight, I don't look back on the site itself and go like, oh, it's a bad team. Why did I do that? But the fact of the matter is that, you know, I started around 2 million in rank and now I'm at 1.5 million in rank five weeks later. So that wouldn't necessarily suggest that I've had um, serious fortune. But... um, really what I would point to as the only decision that I regret is I doubled up on Liverpool and avoided the likes of Bruno Fernandes, avoided having the Spurs double up. I at that stage still didn't, wasn't sure if Spurs could kind of continue to do as well as they had. They'd collapsed. Um, they'd beaten, they'd trashed United and they'd thrashed Southampton, but they'd still had those two bad results against Everton and Newcastle. That kind of tinged me with doubts where I kind of had more belief in Liverpool Um. And so it um it just hasn't quite worked out in that sense. But really, if you swap Mane to San even, the, the difference of thirty, forty points would probably be enough to put me in a position where I'd be very happy with this wildcard. And so it's like I could overfocus on just the rank, but really there's just one decision within the greater <laughs> team that really has made the difference. And that's you know, that's the fall of the ball, I guess. And I'm I'm okay with that. Um I think overall I'm still quite well set I haven't had to take any hits since for example like I haven't gone burning the team that I had so look overall we're okay guys 1.2 million we'll, we'll, be, we'll survive
1: fine margins eh alright okay and the final question of this week came from uh, Dino of uh, FPL Dare uh, Newcastle resident who says he's got Jimenez still got an tonight, actually very lucky one. Hit the post. Uh, uh, but yeah. Uh, and he asked, should he be making him into Dominic Carver-Lewin now? He's worried that he's missed the boat. And is at times just kind of, you know, cut the cord and look elsewhere. So okay, maybe it's a decision, not maybe it's a question, not so much about him and Dominic Carver-Lewin, but maybe a bit more about missing the boat in FPL guys. I mean, what do you guys think about this whole sort of notion? And for me, it may feel very boring buying these players, but it's never boring scoring points simply. <laughs> um so you know, often it, it's the case that you're kind of thinking, Oh, you know, it's bad, it's bad. I mean, Anthony, you bought Dominic Halluon on your wild card, I bought Dominic Allewan on my wild card, and neither of us complaining about the decision compared to buying Richardlison. So it's almost the case that you kind of sometimes have to suck it up. You just go for it, don't you? Very a really quote, unquote, boring transfer an obvious transfer because in the, the day it's always great to be picking up those hygiene points everyone else gets and letting other people make the mistake uh, what do you reckon
0: yeah like it's easy to overcomplicate these decisions sometimes but like it's never a bad decision or a boring decision uh, to bring in the top scoring player in the league uh, who's less than 8 million into your team like just as, as simple as that um, with someone like DCL. In terms of missing the boat generally, I think, yeah, Tom, you've kind of hit the nail on the head. It's, you know, don't think about the decisions that you previously made that you're trying to hold on to and vindicate in the longer term. I think it's just you've got to look forward, look at the fixtures, look at the players that you have. And if you think that someone you don't have is going to do better and you can get them in um, without taking hits and screwing your whole entire team over, you should probably get them in.
2: Yeah, exactly. I think we've, we've... Looked at some of our decisions in the past, so just kind of completely missing out on sort of the Ings wagon from last year, or myself with the Vardy wagon when, when Leicester won the league, and and regret it all ultimately. So I think there's there's no shame in, in recognizing where, where you've got this sort of cost fallacy, I guess, and writing a wrong perhaps in terms of some of your earlier decision making.
0: Yeah, that, that's pretty much it, and I think we're pretty much moving towards wrapping up the pod. But before we do that, we'll have to look at our transfers and captains for the coming week. Nicholas, what are you planning?
2: So I feel like I've got some really critical decisions to make this week. Feels like very important. So I haven't, I've got ideas, but I haven't got anything set in stone. I think Zaha, um, also potentially being out as. A little bit of a spanner into the plans as well, so I could potentially even look at swapping him out for, for Jota or something and, and you know getting him in as perhaps a, some sort of like Salah coverage. I don't know, but then that's one idea. I could potentially downgrade Robertson, uh, get in De Bruyne or, or Salah as well, or, or um, maybe even doing Vardy in for Kane. So, got a few disparate plans going through my head currently, nothing set in stone. And uh, ironically, actually, in terms of the captains. Whoever I bring in will probably be the captain as well, whether it's Salah, if I bring him in, whether it's De Bruyne, whether it's Vardy. Whoever comes in will probably end up with the armband because I, I, you know, at the moment I've got it still on Fernandez, Southampton away, but I think whoever comes in probably has a better fixture than that.
1: Yeah, no, it certainly makes sense. Um, I'm going to leave it for another week. I've got 0.2 million, so I can do the Mane uh, to Salah switch straight away if I wanted to. Uh, if he's looking like he'll be back for Brighton. I'm kind of half tempted actually. I know that sounds a bit stupid, but I'm I'm very tempted because it, it is a transfer I'm probably gonna make at some point. So why not make it now is my thinking. Um probably would be more effective our two-free transfers so I could deal the man so I can address the Mante situation and you know if Jota keeps going, maybe I'd have Jota as being the cover, um, and 6.5 million, six point five million, six point six million now I'd be able to kind of say, right, okay, he's a cheap sort of Liverpool representation, so then I can get a, a Sterling or a KDB in, but you know, I'm tempted, but I probably I probably will leave it and probably captain Vardy and just be done with that, I think. Uh, what about you, Anthony?
0: Yeah, for for those of you who make those teams uh, week by week to try and get the top scorer, I, I would love to have Jamie Vardy on my side, but I'm not sure if I can do it from my own like structural perspective. I've Kane and DCL, and they're not leaving my side anytime soon, but upgrading Brewster to uh, Kane would take some sort of... Uh, Budgetary war crime. So I'm not quite sure I'm going to manage that. I was actually looking at the side grade as well, uh, Tom, that you were looking at of Mane to Sala. Um, it was actually something that I was considering doing. Um, once I sold Salah for missing this game week, I kind of thought, right, well, Mane has a week to prove himself, or he just becomes Salah, and then he just becomes my sole Liverpool representative in my side until I get the likes of uh, Jota, or Robertson, or TAA when he's back into the team. So. That side grade, I think, is the most likely option Uh, in terms of the captaincy. It could actually be Kevin De Bruyne uh, for the captaincy. He'd be in the lead so far, but I could quite easily change that decision as the week goes on.
2: Cool. So we were Who Got The Assist. Thanks so much, guys, for listening and make sure to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already
0: cheers folks it was good to be back this week and great to be back after a whole month away which is a pretty daft amount of time for me to have missed out on but uh, if you want to get your correspondence in who got the assist at gmail.com to as Tom says make me squeal that sounds really disgusting oh yeah it does
1: <laughs> in general we hope this is to think about the impacts of luck and find margins in FBL and as Anthony mentioned we will speak to you next week and you can make me squeal next week
0: goodbye who, who got the assist at gmail.com <laughs> Oh dear. Just another week on the internet, eh?
1: Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist?
2: Sports Social Podcast Network.